Uh, we're starting, beginning this series kind of based on what's going on on television uh, in the evening. And sometimes, um, you know, fact and fiction kind of mingle. So as we go through this first part of the book of Acts, and you, if you choose to follow it uh, television-wise, sometimes things are done on television for effect and not exactly a part of the story, but we hope that you are more engaged in the biblical story if you choose to watch that, to, just to see how everything fits together. It kind of makes it come alive and it makes it real. You know, today or this weekend, if someone asks you, well, what are you going to do Sunday? A lot of times, uh, I, I would hope you would say, well, I'm going to church. And that's what we often say uh, as we talk about what we do today, I'm going to church. That's just a common thing. And when we say that, we typically mean we're coming to this building, 2700 East Rogers Road, and this is where we'll gather together for worship. Uh, and when you look at the dictionary, you look up church, the very first definition is a building or a place where people gather to worship. But would it surprise you to learn that the very first Christians didn't meet in a building, a special building? Uh, the earliest church, I think, is found somewhere in western Syria, and it was uh, about 240 A.D. when this church was established. In fact, it was a home that was converted into a church. So the church met at least for 200 years without a building, and yet it was still called the church. So if the church isn't a building, what is it? Well, many of you have heard the word, uh, if you've been around church much, ekklesia, which is a Greek word which describes what we are. Jesus first used this word when he's talking to Peter and said, Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, or the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus makes the statement, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my ekklesia. I will build my church. That's the first time in the New Testament we see the word church used. And we don't see it used again until the fifth chapter of the book of Acts. What does that word mean? Well, commonly what it meant, and what it's, I believe Jesus is talking about here, is in Greek city-states and in Roman times, the ecclesia was this calling out. The herald would march through town playing the trumpet, calling the people to a public assembly, calling them forth to a, a political assembly. Uh, and so this is, is a common political term for a gathering or a meeting of people. Jesus calls us to that assembly. The ancient church met for a long time without a building. So in a modern sense, when we say we're going to church and meet a building, we're correct. But from a New Testament sense, when we're saying church... We're talking about people. So you don't say, I go to church. From a New Testament sense, you say, I am the church. Make sense? That's what Jesus was thinking of when he said, I will call these people forth into a collection of people who will be my gathering. So in the book of Acts, second chapter, we see this gathering of people together for the first times. And we see a picture of what that gathering looked like. I'm a sports fan. I like many kinds of sports. But especially when you're watching basketball, one thing that sort of fascinates me and annoys me is, you know, halftime and, and the, the, the person who's 
on the floor, tries to interview a coach. Have you seen that? And first of all, the coaches, you, could, you just tell, they, this is the last thing they want to do is be interviewed by somebody going to the locker room. And they're kind of standing there going like that. And then the interviewer asks some really intelligent question. Coach, how do you feel about being 47 points behind? You know, and what do you need to do to catch up? I, you can just feel the frustration. What do they generally say? They generally say, well, we just need to get back to fundamentals. Get back to what it really means to play the game. Back to the basics. That's what we're talking about here in the second chapter of the book of Acts. After Peter's marvelous sermon, the very first gospel sermon, and the decision that is made when the people ask, what shall we do? There are more than 3,000 souls come into this first called assembly. What did they do? What did the church do? How did it look when it first began? Those are the basics for us. Let's look at uh, Acts 2, starting with verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is a snapshot of the earliest assembly. Let's kind of pull some of the things apart of what we see them doing as helping us to understand how to get back to the basics as a church ourselves. Remember, we are the church. They devoted themselves. Some says they continued steadfastly. The early church was all in. They weren't half-hearted. They weren't spectators. In fact, to make a decision like these folks made was to separate themselves from their heritage, from their ethnic identity, to move away from Jewishness into following Jesus. And so they had to be all in. They were devoted. You can tell a Kentucky fan, can't you? Look at their car. See what they post on Facebook. Look at the colors they wear. I'm not talking about Indiana fans. We're not like that at all. But you can tell, can't you? They're all in. It's not long before they talk about that great season they just had, you know? You understand what a fan is. They, they're beyond fans. They're fanatics. The early church was all in. And what did they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, the apostles were those, if you look in the first chapter of Acts, uh, Peter talks about how they need to replace Judas, and so they, he describes what, they, what the qualifications are. And the qualifications are someone who has been with Jesus from the baptism of John the Baptist through the resurrection, Peter says, so that they can be a witness with us. So this was a person, these apostles are people who had been with Jesus the entire time, had witnessed what he had done and heard his teaching, had learned from him. And so the early church learned from the apostles who were there with Jesus. 
I find it interesting that after this great miraculous thing that happened in the second chapter, uh, beginning of the second chapter, where these tongues of fire fell upon the apostles and they spoke in other languages and everyone understood this wonderful spirit expression, it's interesting that the apostles didn't just say, well, just pour out the spirit on everybody and they'll just learn what they need to learn. Let's bypass the teaching thing. No, the teaching thing was extremely important and it's still important to us today. So the apostles' teaching passed on the very life and words of Jesus. We have the apostles' teaching today. In fact, much of what they taught is written in this book. That's the start of how this book came to be and the letters that followed to help instruct the church on how to live in a godly way. Apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Fellowship is one of those Christian kinds of words. We kind of understand what it is, but it means a family feeling, a shared family togetherness feeling. The Bible has a a lot of adoption words in it. We are adopted into a new kind of family. So if you don't like your family of origin, you have a new family now. Don't blame it on them anymore. You have a new family. Some people say you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. In this new ecclesia, you can choose your family. Here we are. And they shared together their lives. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. Our English versions leave out something here. It's an article, the breaking of the bread. Uh, it's commonly thought that that refers to not only perhaps a meal together, but also what you've just done, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of the bread. Uh, Do this every time you meet in remembrance of me. They remembered Jesus suffering death every time they got together, the Lord's Supper. We share in that. It's a family meal together we share. And prayer, sometimes even the prayer. It's thought that perhaps they recited some of the prayers of the Old Testament But prayer was a a large part of the early church's first beginnings. Everything brought in prayer together as a family. There were many miracles and wonders and signs being done, and it said they were filled with awe or reverence or respect. You see, the miracles needed to be done in order to validate the fact that this is true because many times we find in the book of Acts people going, Aren't these just normal, ordinary, blue-collar workers? Why should they be speaking of this Messiah, this Jesus? What kind of authority do they have? The miracles, I believe God brings miracles in special new times in order to validate his message, and that's what he was doing here. We may not see that kind of miracle much today, but we do see miracles. We do see things that happen that are kind of unexplainable. When the doctor says, I don't understand, but you seem better now. But even if that's not so dramatic in your life, you, other, you see other kinds of miracles, like getting up this morning and everything still works. That's a miracle. As I grow older, that's a more of a miracle every day. Or walking outside and, and, and seeing what's happening around us with spring blossoming that is a miracle. Or even experiencing a thunderstorm like we might today and feeling and experiencing God's power. We seldom have respect and awe for what God is doing in our everyday ordinary lives. It seems that these Christians were hyper aware of the presence and power of God around them. It says all the believers were together and had things in common. Now, many people say, oh, there it goes. That's communism. 
That's socialism. Well, there's a big difference. And you know what the big difference is? They did this voluntarily. No government made them do this. Out of the goodness of their heart, they made sure that anyone among them who had needs, they were met. You see, as these folks gathered for Pentecost, there were people from all over the known world there. Remember, all the different languages that were spoken were all over the known world. And, you know, Uncle Moshe was staying in your basement, and he's running out of lunch money. What do you do? You help him out. They had everything in common, and, and they shared as each had need. If you go a couple of pages, uh, I don't want to steal another sermon, but if you go a couple of pages to Acts 4, you'll find all the believers, it says, were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions were his own. They shared everything they had. And then down a little bit farther, it says, there were no needy persons among them. The early church was a generous, giving church. They made sure that there was no one around who had any kind of need that could not be met by them. And that is one of the marks of the early church as it goes through the centuries. The early church, remember, not the building, the early church people cared for those who were sick, who were poor. In fact, it's thought that, uh, you know, the Christians had a lot to do with the stemming of the, the plague in the Middle East when no one else would take care of people who were sick and dying. The Christians did. And it's often said that the, one of the reasons why Christianity really got sparked after that was because of the witness of the Christians who were serving those people who were sick and needy. That's the kind of church we are. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. That's probably a meal, but again, perhaps even the Lord's Supper. Uh, there was hospitality there. They were hospitable people. They spent time in each other's home. It says they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They really enjoyed each other's company. This was a family. And then it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They praised God for what he had done for them, and all the people recognized this goodness, this kindness. There was something different about this new called out assembly of people. And everyone, and everyone noticed, not just the ones in the assembly, but on the outside, because we know that because it says the Lord added to their number daily. Every day, more people were attracted to this new community of people, this new assembly of the kingdom of God on earth. What an exciting time to be alive. This early church had a fantastic reputation in the community. So we see that they were devoted. They were a learning community. They were a loving community. They were a worshiping community. And they were a growing community. Now people often say to me, probably not much anymore after this, well, the church ought to do something about that. And I say, you're absolutely right. What are you going to do? And most of the time, they go shake their head and turn around and go the other way. You see, as long as we have this modern view of the church as a place we go, that's the kind of, that's the kind of language we'll use. But when we think we are the church, we are the ones who ought to do something about it, as we see them doing in the, in the early church, as this message spread and spread and spread and fact, actually grew, we are the recipients of what happened as the early church spread and grew out throughout the known world. Some uh, real remarkable things happened as a result of what happened in the early church. We see that here 
as they begin. So how can we be the church in our time? Now, these are not things that are going to be earth-shaking and new to you, but let me just remind you of some things as we pull it out of what we see the early church doing. Are you really all in like the early church? You know, there are people who come to church Christmas and Easter. There are people who come to church when it's convenient. And there are people who try to get there as much as possible. When I was a kid, I mean, if we, you know, we went to church every time the doors opened. It was just a part of our fabric of our life. And it was our family. It was our community. Not so much today. And there's a lot of church bashing going on today among even people who are belonging to a church. You know, uh, it needs to be a place like this early church of, of devoted fanatics, people who are sold out to the church, to the local church and its mission. And, and you know, with, this may not be your church. I don't know. Uh, let me tell you something. If you haven't figured this out by now, th- this is not a perfect place because the church is made up of not perfect people. Remember, the church is people. So we are a collection of broken, imperfect people. So we're bound to disappoint you once in a while. We just are. In fact, I suppose probably before the day's over, somebody's going to feel disappointed about something that we might have done today. But that's because we're all together imperfect. But because we're drawn together by a perfect message, we can still have a great impact. But you have to be all in, just like the early church. You cannot be a spectator. You can't be sitting on the fence. Are you building your life on apostles' teaching? We've got it right here. For the first time in history, we have so much, so much that we can draw upon to learn and to grow from sermons and lessons from great Bible teachers all over this world uh, at our fingertips. I don't want to even get into Google, which you can, you know, you can get in a lot of trouble with Google too. But anything you want to know, you can try to figure out. It's at your fingertips. Information is here, but information is nothing without transformation. And that's what the community, the fellowship of believers, helps us do. Together, we work out life and understanding as we share our life together, just like the early church. How about that? Are you sharing life with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, We have a thing around here called life groups. If you aren't in one of those, those could help you. We have serving groups. We have mission trips. We all sorts of things to help you become a part of this family. Remember, the early church met in larger groups and smaller groups. There's something about meeting with a smaller group of people and sharing experiences that draw you closer together. I mean, if you want to get close to a person, just take a trip with them or, you know, almost eat, just eat a meal with them. All of a sudden you're drawing yourself closer. That's what the life group, that's what the serving groups, all the groups that we have here are meant to help you grow closer to your new adoptive family. People say, I just don't feel very connected to that church. Well, it's probably because they come in the back door, sit down, and leave. And they sit in the same place, so they meet the same people. And they don't like those people, so they just sit and leave. You know, years ago, uh, these people are no longer here. They were older people. In the other building, the other side of the building, they they would come in and sit, and and they decided they want to be members here. And they came to talk to me about it. I said, you know, that's great. I said, uh, maybe you've heard this story, but I'll tell you anyway. Uh, I said, well, let's, let's just, have you been or seen the church? Well, no. Of course, it was just that part of the church in those days. So I showed him around it. And we went out here down the hallway by the fellowship. He said, look, there are bathrooms. 
look there, you can hang your coat here. They had literally gone from the parking lot to the back row, back out to the parking lot. Now, if you're one of those folks and you feel like you're not connected to the church, I don't, it, you put the dots together there, you know. You have to be a part of a shared community. Get to know people. Get shared experiences and life together. Uh, the earliest church then did things together. And you notice with glad and sincere hearts. They were happy about it. It wasn't a chore for them. So in this remarkable transformation from cowardly uh, people of the, the apostles like Peter just runs away from what's happening to Jesus to this bold group of people. All this happened as we see in the second chapter because of the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's a whole other series of sermons. But just to remind you about almost a year ago, uh, I preached a sermon on, uh, from our series, I believe it was on unseen forces on supernatural power. And I tried to teach a little bit about what I believe about the Holy Spirit. Get on our website. If, if, you, if you're like me, I forgot what I preached about. Uh, the day after I did it. So if you're like me, you might want to refresh your memory. Just go on the website to Sermon Archives. A lot of our sermons are archived there if you'd like to hear them again and, and see what I have to say. I think the Bible has to say about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit was what drew this together and gave this church such remarkable power. So now it's our turn. It's our turn to start writing the rest of the story. And we need the same kind of devotion and confidence these early believers had. And let me tell you, folks, if you haven't noticed, we have our work cut out for us. The opinion of people about the church, especially in North America, is lower than it has ever been before. David Kinneman, who's the president now of the Barna Organization, did a recent survey on um, what people think about Jesus. And here's what he says. There isn't much argument about whether Jesus Christ actually was a historical person. But nearly everything else about his life generates enormous and rancorous debate. Everybody thinks Jesus was a historical person, but that's about as far as it goes. There's a lot of confusion after that. There is a category when people ask about what is your religious affiliation. There's an expanding category today, and you know what it's called? The nuns, not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. That category is getting larger. I have no affiliation with any kind of religious spiritual assembly. That is growing every year. In fact, it's like this group of people has unfriended Jesus, to use social media terms. They've stopped following him. The study goes on to say, that um, the extent of Christian commitment in this nation is about 150, people, 150 million who say they've professed faith in Christ. But here's the, the bottom line of this. Much of the previous research shows Americans' dedication to Jesus is in most cases a mile wide and an inch deep. Let me show you this little diagram up here of mile wide and inch deep. Several types of people. There are, there are people way over there on the wide side who need Jesus, maybe never heard of him. And they center them, their life around themselves, the me generation. They maybe don't even know about a church or Jesus or anything, and it's just my life, I do it my way. Then there are those people who come to church because it is an advantage to them in some way. 
but it really isn't that very, very serious to them. So it's me, and then God comes along when I have time for him. We call them cultural Christians. There are cultural uh, Christians all over the world, and every other religion has cultural followers as well. They do it for some advantage or because their family did it, but it really doesn't mean anything to them. And then there's that middle category, the next category of biblical Christians. The idea is I want to try to live by God's Word, and I want to try my best to put God first and myself second. Now we're talking. But then there's that last group of people who say, I want to go further. I want to be a leader of the ecclesia. I want to put God first and everybody else second, and where I come in is really inconsequential. That's the way we move through our stages of faith. Where are you on, that, on those stages of faith? Of course, in that, there are always people that are hurting. Sometimes that hurt drives them closer, and sometimes that pulls them farther away. But take an assessment of yourself today. Where do you find yourself? Are you a mile wide, or are you becoming deeper and deeper? Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so much unlike your Christ. So does it surprise you that the reason most people don't go to church is because of the people who do go to church? And then we say, well, who is the church? Oh, it's me. We have a lot of work to do today. Some of you here today have been hurt by the church. And if you're here and you've been hurt by the church, God bless you for giving it another try. Because all churches aren't like that. All people who say they're followers of Jesus aren't like that. Some of you here are very mature Christians who've been a part of the church, sort of like I have, for your whole life. But sometimes when you're a part of something your whole life, you get just a little bit comfortable. And you begin to look at everybody just a little bit differently. Because after all, they should know better. I'm telling you folks, people don't know better. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So rather than looking at all people who are far from God with your nose turned up, you need to look at them as Jesus did. Love and compassion and kindness. Some of you are just kicking the tires. You're not even sure what you believe. And some of the stuff we do around here is pretty strange and weird. But you're interested And I hope that we as a people can be the kind of people that make you say, I want what you have because I don't have that. I believe the church is the instrument that brings Jesus to our world. Martin Luther said, anyone who is to find Christ must first find the church. How could anyone know where Christ is And what faith in him is unless he knows where the believers are. Here we are. We sang a song when I was a boy, an old hymn. It always made me sad. It starts out, the church is one foundation. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And then the last line says, of that first verse, with his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. The church is important. Because Jesus died for it. He died for us. How can we access this power? How can we access this new community? Be a part of the kingdom of God? I go back to what Peter said when they said, 
what shall we do? Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. Simple as that, but so difficult to do. Christians today are being persecuted for their faith. We hear about it every day. It's horrifying. It's terrifying. They're all in. They believe so much they're willing to die for their faith. I don't know if I could do that. I would like to think I'm devoted enough, dedicated enough to be able to do that, but I don't know. But I do know that right at this moment in my life and in our lives, Jesus is not asking us to die for him. He's asking us to live for him. That's a lot easier. I think it's time for us to get started. It's time for us to be the church. And that's my challenge for you today.